Okay, I want to talk about Korach. Uh, what was it about? Why was there a revolt that was organized by Korah? What was the reason? I mean, how can we, we track it down? Like, what happened? Are we in Forest Hills? We're not in Forest Hills? You have, uh, you have a sheet? Where are the sheets? Oh, you have a sheet? Okay. If you, if you, what do you call it? Are the windows are closed now? Like they say, it's going to be cool. When it really is cool, it'll be time to dive in Maraf. What? Jealousy. Jealousy? Oh, jealousy. No, you're answering the question. No, but you know, you, you've been here before. I don't ask questions. You know, did you give me an answer? I'm not a teacher. <laughs> okay, listen. This is what it says in the Pasuk. This is what the Torah says. Vayikalu al Mosheva al Aaron, vayibruolehem, ravlochem. Okay, too much. Right, you have too much. Kikola idakulam kedoshim uvetocham Hashem. This is not so clear. Kikola idakulam kedoshim when we read it we are of course very influenced by Rashi we all know Rashi so we sort of like automatically think in terms of Rashi but the Psukim are not so clear means why do you act in the way that you act right is the root means to hold yourself high Titnasu, right? You make yourself uh, uh, important. That's titnasu. So you have these ravlachem and kikol haida kulam kidoshim. I mean, it's not clear. If not for Rashi, we wouldn't know at all what they were saying to Moshe Rabbeinu. It's kind of a little esoteric. So you look at Rashi, and Rashi says. Rashi says, "Madua titnas u rav lochem." Let's just start from the beginning of the Rashi. Habei yoter vidai lekafter latzmechem gedula. Habei yoter vidai lekafter latzmechem gedula. Like you took too many positions, you took too, too, too much authority. Uh, something. In, in other words, this resonates with us. Like we all know people like this. We all know people who think they're big shots and should not be such big shots. Right? That's something that makes sense. He call her Eidak Kulam Kedoshim. Rashi says Kulam Shamud Varim B'Sinai Mipiyat Gura. Oh, okay. So this uh, this is a kind of a great leveler, I would say. Kulam Kedoshim. They were all at Har Sinai. That I, I can understand. I mean, even though even though uh, that I remember what happened at Har Sinai, there's no doubt that Moshe Rabbeinu had a special position. Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately, not ultimately, was the one who went up on Har Sinai. And everybody else stood at the bottom. It's true that everybody participated. But it says in the parasha, Moshe Yedaber, Ve'elokibya, and that'll be called. I mean, that Moshe Rabbeinu was not like everybody else. And I said, it's true that everybody in Har Sinai was at a very high level. But it doesn't seem to be true that they were all exactly the same as Moshe Rabbeinu. That doesn't seem to be true. 
But Rashi says, Rashi says, Kulam Shamu Dvarim That is true. If that's the measure, and I have a few more. If that's the measure, the measure is, did you hear God speak at Har Sinai? So that everybody heard God speak at Har Sinai. But does that mean that everybody was the same? I'm not sure, but that's what Rashi sort of said. That's what Korach said. So you could say that Korach already made a mistake. You know, like he thought that everybody was the same. That everybody was like Moshe Rabbeinu. He couldn't understand that, that in spite of the fact that they were at Har Sinai, they weren't like Moshe Rabbeinu. All right, that's what Rashi says. And then Madua Titnasu, Rashi says that's something that's a different Tana. One Tana is we're spiritually as great as you are. The second Tana is Batai Titnasu, the Kakta, Ata, Malchut, Lo Ayalacha Levarer, Lachicha Kuhuna, Lo Atem Levatchen Shematem Visinai, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, Kolay Dashamu. So you, you should divide up the spoils in a little bit of a more equal manner. It's not right that you should be the CEO and that Aaron should be the uh, the chief scientist and uh, let's give it out to other people let other people get involved after all again Rashi says Lo atem shmatem Hashem of course you know that Fazal say that it's probably true that they only heard very little of the Aser that they brought Right, either the first thing there or the first two they wrote, uh, uh, but but maybe just Anochi Hashem Elokecha. So Rashi is reflecting that, right? He's reflecting all, all of that. All right. So so in in other words, Torah has some kind of a ta'ana. He he's organizing a revolt. The way he organizes the revolt is by increasing everybody's self-esteem. Right? He says. Oh, you think Moshe Rabbeinu is up there and we're down here? No, we're all up in the balcony together. He's talking about everybody's self-esteem. That's how he does it. Okay, so you would think that Moshe Rabbeinu, you think that Moshe Rabbeinu would have something to say. And he did say, look, you know, it's the role of it. I speak to God all the time and I'm teaching you the Torah and, and the, the Oromo'ed and I go in, I go in and, 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 and then I, I receive this information. I mean, what, what here is the... Like, where's the difficult part here? I mean, Korach, I mean, he said what he said, but Moshe Rabbeinu should be able to respond. I mean, it's quite clear to us that the Moshe Rabbeinu's position as a spiritual leader was unassailable. I mean, what was it that, that they were saying that was so important or impressive? And then the next Pasuk says, Vayishma Moshe Vayipol Alpana. So Vayishma Moshe Vayipol Alpana is a Pasuk that reflects the paralysis of Moshe Rabbeinu. There was the Tana was so strong that there was nothing that he could say. There's nothing that he could say to Tana. They came and they said, we were all at Harsina and Moshe Rabbeinu collapsed. Right? When, when they, they went and they did the Cheta Egel, Moshe Rabbeinu was willing to argue with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in order to redeem the Jewish people that he could do. But when B'nai Yisrael said something, let's say, take Rashi, which seems to us to be imprecise, imperfect, and horrible at best, 
And he couldn't say anything. He couldn't say anything. Look, but you know, you remember, I'm teaching you the Torah. Every day, I teach the Torah that God gave to B'nai Yisrael. How could you think that you're the same as I am? I mean, how could you imagine? How could you imagine such a thing? So Rashi says, You know this Rashi? Rashi says that Moshe Rabbeinu was tired. He had to argue with B'nai Yisrael once and twice and three times. The fourth time was just too much. He wasn't willing to argue with Moshe Rabbeinu. Another way, a way of understanding is this Rashi, is that Rashi agrees basically with what we said. That if this was the first time that B'nai Yisrael came and opposed the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu, then what would have happened according to Rashi? Surely he would have said something. Surely he would have fought them. Surely he would have beaten them back. I mean, that wasn't a problem. He would have done that. But the fourth time, he began to see that it's in the DNA. It's in the DNA of the Jewish people. Right? You go to Shul, they elected a president, so everybody's against it. Right? Yesterday, everybody was for him. And today, everybody's against it. But that's the way, that's the way we, that's the way we are. That's the way we are. According to Rashi, According to Rashi, this argument itself that Korach Adato had was not so significant. And Moshe Rabbeinu could have answered it, but he didn't answer it because he was miyuash. He was in distress. Not because of the argument, but because of the ceaseless uh, denial of reasonable authority. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu was, was against. And you know, Rashi continues in the Rashi way, and he has to provide a more powerful, this is an aside, this is not what we're talking about, I'm just reminding you of this, right? As an aside, Rashi says that Korach came to Moshe Rabbeinu and talked to him about mezuzah, and talked to him about tzitzis, right? You remember, remember that Rashi? That, 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 that uh, what if your whole talit, if you have a talit of chelet, you have to, you have to put on a, a one more strand, of Chelet in the Tzitzit question right and of course Moshe Rabbeinu said uh, said you do and Korach said but it's a Kalvachomer right it's a Kalvachomer meaning it's logical in the kind of the kind of logic that works in the Torah so that why did Rashi say that why did Rashi say that because Rashi wanted to ha- wanted to present an argument he wanted to to, to say you know, in the beginning, Rashi says that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't respond because he was despondent about his, about his efforts and about the people and about what happened to them. He was just unhappy. But later on, in it, Rashi says, look, but it doesn't sound reasonable that just being unhappy would stop Moshe Rabbeinu from trying to straighten out B'nai Israel. So he brings in this other argument, the other argument about Sitzes and Mezuzah, which says that the people had really a, an argument. They really had an argument. They, they had something to say that Moshe Rabbeinu could not deal with, right? Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't respond. Because everybody knows that a Kalvachoma works, right? If you ever learn Gemara, or if you haven't, you learn Mishnah. Mishnah is enough in this particular case. So you know that the Kalachom is one of the Midotcha HaTorah Nidreshepah, which means that it wins. A Kalachom wins. The, uh, uh, it doesn't win 
but it wins 50%. By that I mean that the Gemara says, Ein on Shin Min Haddin. That even though the Kabbalah is right, even though I imagine or I, I determine that the Kabbalah is right, I can't punish somebody for transgressing the Kabbalah. Because the Kabbalah is logical. And logical and logic can always be flawed. F-L-A-W-E-D. Logic can be flawed. What cannot be flawed? <coughs> what? Tradition, right? What your Rebbe teaches you. That's correct. But you figure out through the Kalvachomer that you, you may be right, but you also may be wrong. And that's why it's very hard. That's why Rashi, Rashi, based on the Medrash, of course, says that there was a, a legal ta'ana that Korach came with. The ta'ana of the mezuzah, the ta'ana of the, of the tzelet. But here, Rashi just says, Rashi says there was no ta'ana. There was no real ta'ana. Who are you, and who are we, and we will see our Sinai, and why should you, we could also, right, some kind of a, some kind of a, an odd uh, a ta'ana that they had against Moshe Rabbeinu. Okay. So I want to tell you that there's another tradition. There's another tradition of interpretation that's in Chazal. And that tradition of interpretation here is, uh, is represented uh, both by, by the Balaturim and by the Targum Yonatan, which is printed on the page. So if you look at the Targum of the Balaturim, the Balaturim is printed incorrectly, but it comes off of the Barilan disc, so you have no choice. You have to take what they give you. Right? It says, the Balaturim says, Bigimatria. We don't know what the Gematria is. It was the Balaturim forgot to tell us what this Gematria is, but we'd like to know. But we know what the Balaturim is talking about. Because he says, Mikan, Mikan, Vayishma Moshe, Mikan, Kichachduhu Ba'ibisha. That is a whole different story. That Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu was listening to what they said, and what they said was that you, Moshe Rabbeinu, have problems with women. Now that having been said, it's not an easy thing to combat. So that the pasuk says, by Yishma Moshe, what did Moshe hear? What did Moshe hear according to this other tradition? He heard that they suspected him of, uh, not, uh, of, of a lack of fidelity, of fooling around with other women. Vayishma Moshe, vayipol al panav. Vayipol al panav because he knew that there was no response. There was nothing that he could say. Because what are we talking about? We're talking about suspicion. And suspicion can't go away. I want to remind you of the halakha of the Isha Sota. Right? What's the halakha of the Isha Sota? That the Torah says that in the case of Safik, there's doubt. There's doubt about this woman. She was closeted with a man. And there are witnesses that can attest to that. But nobody knows 
whether there something happened or nothing at all happened. So what does the Torah say? So of course the system of justice, we call that Bateidin, Shoftim Vishotrim, have no way of dealing with that. Because they can only deal with with information that can be ascertained as correct. They can't deal with information that's a suspicion. What are they supposed to do? What can the, what can the bank didn't do if people come and they say, we suspect that this woman did such a way, oh, oh, no, we know that this woman was in a room alone with this man, and that's it. That's what we know. So the, the bank didn't can never come to a conclusion about the status of this woman. At that time, the Torah says, the Torah says, May Sota. What's May Sota? What is May Sota? It's an act of clarification. It doesn't take place in the court, but it takes place with heaven. God says, God says to us in the Torah, you deserve clarity. So if the woman will drink the Mayim Ma'orim and she lives through it, then there's clarity. There's clarity. She didn't do anything wrong. Or she put herself in a compromised position, but then she didn't do anything wrong. And Shalom Bayit can be re-established. Right? And so the Gemara says in Sota. The Gemara says in Sota, Mishanit Rabu Hamina'afim Pasku Me Sota. When in Eretz Yisrael people were not careful about their marital relations and about establishing the stable kinds of family units, then Me Sota stopped working. And the Pshat is, the Pshat of the Gemara is that the Torah is willing. The Torah is willing to do this extraordinary thing of Mesota for a society that values stability, family, uh, uh, good relations between the, 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 the father and the mother, right? And that kind of society, then the Torah is willing to clarify things for the sake of Shalom Bayat. But if the society comes apart and nobody is, and people are not concerned, about those values, then the Mayim, the Mesota, also stop working. So you see, you see that suspicion, that kind of suspicion is a tragedy. So that kind of suspicion about Moshe Rabbeinu is also a tragedy. I mean, it's got to be based on something. It can't be based on nothing. But, but once it's established, what can you do about it? So the so Chazal say, well, this we read, we saw it in the Balaturim, but it's based on Chazal, I'll tell you the Gemara in a minute. The Chazal say that one suspicion about the, about the, 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 uh, the spiritual vision of Moshe Rabbeinu, one suspicion had been established, there was nothing that Moshe Rabbeinu could do. And that's the Pshat, according to the Balaturim, by Yishma Moshe, by Yipol al Panaf. And the Bala Turin is based on a Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, which is not on your sheet, but I'll just tell you the Gemara. The Gemara says this much more. Shoma says, what was it 
that Moshe Rabbeinu heard. What was it that was so difficult for him to accommodate? What was it that was so hard for him to, to, to deal with? A pshat that came down in Eretz Yisrael, right, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Shechashtuhu be'eshet ish. Shechashtu be'eshet ish means they thought that Moshe Rabbeinu did something with an eshet ish. Did something, didn't do something, right? But that's the, that's the pshat of the Balaturim and the Targum Yonatan. The pshat is based on the Gemara Sanhedrin. That Vaishmai Yitra, what is the only thing that could make Moshe Rabbeinu like collapse? Vaipol al Panav. Vaishmai Moshe Vaipol al Panav, something that cannot be responded to. If you're put in a position where you have to defend yourself, against some sort of suspicion, then you cannot defend yourself. Now this is especially true, I would say. This is especially true considering the story in the previous parasha. If you look at the Psukim in Bamidbar, you'd bet, starting from Pasuk Aleph, Vayedaber Miriam ve'aron b'moshe al odot ha'isha kushit so we know that Moshe, that Aaron and Miriam had a ta'ana against Moshe Rabbeinu, and that ta'ana had something to do with an isha kushit. We don't know what the ta'ana was, and we don't know who who the isha kushit was. However, in Chazal. And in the, medra, the various medrashim, there is an attempt to explain to us who these people might be. So let's look first at uh, at Rashi. Al Odota Isha Kushit, right? Isha Kushit. You see the fourth wide line in the Rashi. Magid Shakol Modim Biyafya, Kishem Shakol Modim. So Rashi has his own way of, uh, of identifying words and their meaning. And he says, Kushi means absolutely clear. Right? You notice there are shades of colors, but black is not a shade. Black is absolutely clear. Right? You know, if it's black, everybody will call it black. Right? If it's blue, uh, you might make up different names for it. This kind of blue, that kind of blue, this kind of orange, that kind of orange, right? We all know that there are things like that. Black is black. I mean, black is black. There are no shades in black. And therefore, Rashi says, so the word black can also mean, the, the Hebrew word kushi can also mean clear. So when do you, you call a woman a kushi, according to Rashi? When I call Modim Biyafya, that everybody agrees she's black, she's, she's uh, uh, unassailably beautiful. Everybody agrees. In, in other words, it was like, what did Rashi do for us? What did Rashi do for us happily? Look, the word Kushi has other meanings in Hebrew. There's a, a place called Kush. Right? Remember Kush? Nehodu. The Ad Kush, right? That's an annual puzzle that we read. 
So Kush is the name of a place, and maybe it's in Africa, and maybe Kush produces people who are actually dark-skinned. But Rashi, by changing the word Kushit into an adjective and not into a noun, has solved the problem. We have to look for, we have to look for it. They say, where did this Isha Kushit come from? I mean, where did he find her? Uh, what was going on? Was he doing slave trading or something? But Rashi says, no, no, that, it's not that word. It's a different word. It means certainty. A woman who is beautiful with certainty. That's what Rashi says. Therefore, you can get rid of, like that word is not a problem anymore. That, that's what Rashi says. Okay? Then Rashi goes on and says, uh, Kushit. <laughs> Rashi goes on and says, and Rashi doesn't let go here. Okay, like, if you don't believe me that kushi means perfect, you know, true, adjectivally, right? It's an adjective, then I'll tell you it's a false of gematria. I don't know, I don't know what Rashi thought about gematria. It's true that Rashi quotes gematria sometimes, but not often. Not often. It wouldn't seem to me that a gematria is a primary kind of interpretation in the way Rashi usually interprets the text. But here, we try to convince me of something. I try to convince me that Ishakushi doesn't mean that there was an Ishakushi. There was just a good-looking woman who was his wife. I mean, it wasn't that she was a Kushi. So he sticks in the gematria also. Alodota Isha, Alodot Gerusheva. Kisha Kushit Lakach. Mata Wudoma. So Rashi is referring to the fact that the word kushit is used twice. She's a kushit and she's an isha kushit, right? So that means that she's like black as could be. She's black in what she looks like, meaning perfect, and she's black in the way she does things. So obviously Rashi includes a defense of the isha kushit. Like everybody knows, she's an Isha Tzadkanit, and she davens all the time, and she takes Chala, after she takes Chala, I mean, she's like, just never ending, never ending, she's an Isha Kushit. And so what's the Ta'ana? We're, 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 we're like anxious to hear the Ta'ana. Ma Talmud Lomar, right, I'm sorry, Isha Kushit, Hashem no Ya, Nikrei Kushit, Kadama Kreit Banan, Na'eh Kushit. And then Rashi says it's like they'll get Israel, like in the Boy Scouts. You know, people get these nicknames. Used to be, I don't know how it is today. The Boy Scouts used to be where everyone had a nickname. So a lot of Israeli kids were called Kushi. Kushi means that they don't look like they come from Switzerland or from Sweden, right? So they call them Kushi. Aisha uh, Kushi. That's no ya. So this is really, uh, I mean, Rashi is Rashi. Rashi holds in his hand the education of the Jewish people for the next thousands of years. And you know, you know they, they say always, they say you shouldn't learn the Abarbanel on Shabbos because... Uh, because you'll get all the questions and then you'll fall asleep and you'll never find out the answers. This is the Rashi. Rashi knows that it is like you come to this tense, this tense psukim. Here Miriam and Aaron are saying something about Moshe Rabbeinu. So the children are even going to come back out of these two psukim and say, wow, Moshe Rabbeinu, what what we thought he was. 
Well, such a great guy. He looked better than I would have a real Tana. So, so Rashi says, no. The whole Tana is that he shouldn't have divorced her. So the children say, Lodora. You know, it doesn't sound so terrible. Maybe on the damn level of Moshe Rabbeinu, but you know, normally he still, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything to us. Okay. So we have a previous story about Moshe Rabbeinu and a woman. I want to go back to the Vaishma Moshe Vayikol Alpana. And I want to tell you the second part of the Gemara in Sanhedrin, which you don't have on the sheet. You know, there's, there's a principle when you make a sheet, you should never include everything. Right? Otherwise, we don't have to pay attention. They just they sh- the sheet and go home. But the Gemara in Sanhedrin, that kuf yud of it all, the Gemara says this in the name of, in the name of Shlomo Yitzchak. What was so terrible? So the first opinion was that they suspected Moshe Rabbeinu of some difficulty with an Eshet Ish. Now we don't know what that usually what that would mean is that a man and a, and a woman who is married has something to do with each other. Right? But that's not the way we understood according to Rashi what happened with Miriam and Aaron. So there's another interpretation in, um, in uh, um, Sanhedrin which says the following Omar of Shmuel Rav Yitzchok Melamed Shekol Echad Vechad Kinei Et Ishto Mimoshe I want to tell you that you can, you can trust me it does say this in the Gemara and if you don't trust me you look it up which is also good. Listen to what the Gemara says. Vaishma Moshe. Like what did Moshe Rabbeinu understand? This is what happened. Vaamechi kol echad veechad kinei et ishto mi Moshe. Kinei et ishto. Those are the words that's used when you suspect your wife of being a sota. Every man in the in Yisrael, every man. Everyone, a lot of them, all thought that their wives were having an affair with Moshe Rabbeinu. How does that sound? Bad Sounds bad, right? Bad uh, but you never heard that before. But it's been in the Gemara all this time. It's been, it's been there for thousands of years. By Yishma Moshe, they said, what was it that Moshe Rabbeinu heard that he could not respond to that he was paralyzed by? What was it that he heard that he was paralyzed by? That they all thought that their wives were involved with Moshe Rabbeinu. And then there's a pasuk. Then there's a pasuk. The pasuk is in, in the parish of Kitisar. Paraglamid Gimel, pasuk Zion. You can make a note. If you want to look it up afterwards, but this is a pasuk. Well, Perak Lamed Gimel. Pasuk Zayn. Listen to the pasuk. The pasuk says this. 
No, this is after the the Chet HaEgel and Moshe Rabbeinu speaks on behalf of B'nai Yisrael and somehow he manages to defend them and to protect them. Right? So it says in the Pasuk, and Moshe Rabbeinu, because B'nai Yisrael were not really prepared at that time to receive the Torah, Moshe Rabbeinu is going to go up on Har Sinai again for another 40 days and get the Torah over again and give back to B'nai Yisrael. But there were things that were prepared. I think we learned this when we learned the parasha. There were things that were prepared in advance. So Moshe Rabbeinu mikachet ha'oel v'natalo mifutz la'machaneh. And he took the oil. Now, what this oil is, is it, is it what the, where the oil is, basically? But we can imagine that this was the oil that was prepared for the Torah that was going to come down, but now the oil, and that should have been in the middle of the machaneh. It should have been like eventually the oil moed was the middle of the machaneh, but here the oil had no place anymore for these 40 days, for the intermediate days between the first time Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Hashina and the second time Moshe Rabbeinu went on Hashina. So there was a, an extra oil. He put it up. That's what you do to an oil. You stick in the ten pegs and you pick it up, right? You pick up the oil somehow. And he took the oil, this oil, that should have been in the middle of the can, and he put it way outside of the can. The karalo oil mo'ed. And that was the original oil moed. What's oil moed? What does the word moed mean? The word moed is the Hebrew root vav ayin dalit. Right? A meeting place. A meeting place. A place that people come to. That's oil. That's oil moed. V'haya kol mevakesh Hashem yitzayel oil moed ashal mechutz l'machaneh. And anybody who was seeking God meaning anybody who was seeking to know the halakha, anybody wanted to know Apsak, anybody wanted to know, you know, to, to, uh, to clarify some safek, would go, mechutz l'machaneh. Amar ha'shmob rab yitzchumai dikhtiv, ve'ikhanu l'moshe b'machaneh, there's a posuke te'elet. Ve'ikhanu, moshe, the word ve'ikhanu can mean anything. It can mean they, they, they disagreed with him. They, they didn't like him. They hated him in the Machaneh. There was a tension by Tanu, but it also is the word that's used to describe the relationship of the man to his wife when he suspects her of having something to do with another man. So that's what it says in the Pasuk Lomar. She calls, Every single person, the Gemara, I'm reading you in the, reading you from the third to me, but every single person thought that his wife was, was uh, surreptitiously having something to do with Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what it says in the Gemara. The Torah Tzviva explains it. The Torah Tzviva is a big time of And he knew all kinds of interesting things. He said, well, this is what happened. What happened? There was a line. Like, you go online to see the Rebbe? Like, you're in the room. Everybody's in the room. And the women were on the line. And when the turn came to see Moshe Rabbeinu to ask a shayla, so what happened? They went into the oil. This is the church minister says. They went into the oil. Or everybody else sitting outside. Men, women. So you have two witnesses sitting outside. So what did they witness? They witnessed this woman in the oil away by herself. By herself with Moshe Rabbi. By Moshe. 
And so you see that Moshe Rabbeinu was unable, Moshe Rabbeinu was unable to deal with this problem. Couldn't deal with, can't deal with suspicion. Suspicion can only be clarified by an act of God. So that's what, that's what uh, uh, this, well that's what this Pesach says. Now I will just tell you, I, I printed here for your enjoyment, I hope, that I do assure that uh, a very long medrash, which I took out of the Me'amlo Ace. The Me'amlo Ace is a, uh, like an anthology that was written in Ladino by Yaakov Puli and uh, sometime in the beginning of the 20th century translated into Hebrew by somebody named Yushalmi. It's like, have you ever seen it? It's like uh, 20 volumes. It's, it's like, it's terrific. You know, it's good for teachers. Very good for teachers, very good for teachers. You get a lot, of, a lot of material out of it and it's all, it all it's like an anthology of Chazal and Parshanit. That's what, that's what the Me'amlo is. Recently, it was re- translated into English. Much of it, a lot of it. Uh, Arya Kaplan translated most of the Chumash into English, and then some other people translated either all of the rest or some of the rest. Of that, I'm not, I'm not so sure. That's recent. What? That's recent. Who? That's recent. Which, the English? Yeah. Uh, well, it depends on what kind of time warp you're living in. I like to think that about 20 years is recent, but maybe, maybe it's worse than I thought. What? 97? What, the Meablo Es? Okay, in Hebrew or in English? In, in, in 87? 77? Okay, we'll have to check into this, because we're into precision here. <laughs> So if you look, <laughs> you look at this, this Lord's story. The Lord's story, you should read this story because it's a great story. And the story, I'll, I'll try to go through it quickly because this is a, sort of a, like a little bit of an aside. Yes? I don't know. I won't have a question. <laughs> if you want to ask a question, we're going to let you ask a question. Since you asked if you could ask a question, which I think is like really above and beyond, you know. Anyway, he says, look at, look at the, the beginning. We're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu running away. This is a story. This is, appears in other medrashim. It's not only in the Yam I just took the Yam because it was convenient for me. But it appears in odd medrashim. There are, besides the medrashim that you may know about, there are many, many odd medrashim that are not so well known. And, uh, but, but they're real. They're real, real medrashim. It says... But remember the story that Moshe Rabbeinu ran away because he killed this guy and that guy and he, he figured he was going to be uncovered as being Moshe Rabbeinu. Where did he go? He went to Kush, of course. And he lived there. He lived in the land of Kush. They all liked him. Because they saw that Moshe Rabbeinu had um, the qualities of kingship. Like he, he embodied kingship. He was even, you know, physically special. And he was at that time, when he ran away from Shrayim, he was about 20 years old 
and they all liked him. You know these kind of stories, right? That was his name, so he got sick. And Biyoma Shvil Machlato Mate, the Kavuoto Muha Ir, the Rachs for Nitro, Kivroa Suluach, the Dol, Shabayo Hakukin Kolam, the Hamotra, Sabo this is actually, it's true, not that it matters so much, but that's what they used, that was what they called an obituary in those days. They would write about all the wars and the battles and the victories, and that was the obituary. Like you, are you all into this story? Of course, the king has died, so everybody was fighting about who should be in charge. They were, they were at a loss. They couldn't defend themselves. Somebody else had taken over. In other words, uh, uh, the political situation was bad because they, they were all, all the other nations were afraid of the king. Now that the king is dead, so they were afraid that the other nations would rise up again. And you know, this is an old, this is a regular story. This is a regular story. Line twelve. The only one who could be king, Shiloya Tobi Men of Kolachim. Basulo appear young Davoma, they built a uh, castle. You know, it's like today you become uh, you become CEO, so they give you a big house, right? It's like a, a benefit. So yeah, you became king, they built you a castle. The Khipsu Bikolachil wrote the Ulla Bella, Lobosaki Moshe Abenu, Shiloya Tobi Men of Kolachim. Basulo appear young Lobo, Shiva Boys Moshe Abenu, with Takulu Fladav Bishoka Rose, with Kolgadol, Kulu Amru. So, you have a story. I mean, it's like a kind of a regular story. But, I mean, we never heard about this story having anything to do with Moshe Rabbeinu. That since Moshe Rabbeinu embodied Malchus, like he was princely in his bearing, in his attitude, his understanding, so they made him king. They made him king in Kush. Made him king in Kush. 919. We can't we can't go into the city because we we're not welcome. So Moshe Rabbeinu tells him, I'll take care of it. Of course, you know, you, you smell the story of Yosef. 
a little bit, right? I mean, there's this idea that Moshe Rabbeinu wants them to understand that he's going to save them in an unconventional manner. And therefore, they have to listen to him. They have to agree, lechatkila, to listen to whatever he says. But if they don't listen to whatever he says, then he's not going to he's not going to get involved. Line twenty-five. If you if you did a literary analysis of this story, it wouldn't be so difficult. But the reason that we're learning, we're looking at this story, is yet to come. so there's some kind of a story. Moshe is going to save them with storks. Storks. Right? He's got these little, these little chicks and they're like draining around and something is going to happen. So I'm not going to tell you what happened. I want to skip to now to 44. If you want to know what happened, you have to read it yourself. Why 44? Moshe Yawalech Vigado, Kikol B'nei Kushi Vimoto, Ki B'chokmato, Natan Lehem Yichot Lashub Le'iram. He was successful. Right? V'natati keter al-rosho, v'natnu keter al-rosho. Listen! Are you ready? V'natnu keter al-rosho. They put a crown on his head. V'natnu l'moshev eshet ha-melech ha-kodein kiknos. And they gave, this was very common in those days, the new king married the widow of the previous king. The previous king's name was Tiknos. Avodiyota, Mizera, Kenaan, Sha'aranan, Noah. After all, Cush was a descendant of Kenaan, and Kenaan was cursed by Noah. Lo kerev eleha Moshe. Lo kerev eleha Moshe. So according to this, according to this uh, uh, story, the Isha Kushit right, was the wife of the previous king of Kush. And the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have relations with her, which is one of the things that he was accused of by Miriam and Aaron, that they didn't have, they didn't live normal, a, a normal life. You know, it, says, it says in the Rashi that he divorced her, but it means that he didn't live with her. He didn't live with her in a reasonable, uh, a marital way. So the reason for that was that Moshe Rabbeinu took, he, he, he was taking care of this woman, but she wasn't really ever going to be his wife because she was from Kush. 
a different explanation of the word Isha Kushit. But again, again, a very difficult accusation to defend yourself against. And therefore, how was it that the problem of the Isha Kushit was settled? Divine intervention. Right? Miriam became afflicted with Sarat. That could be. But this case, right, so there are two cases about Moshe Rabbeinu and uh, fidelity or infidelity. Where, on the one hand, we understand that Moshe Rabbeinu was in the Old Moed because he had to be in the Old Moed. And everybody understands that Moshe Rabbeinu in the Old Moed was teaching Torah to the people who came with Shilas. And on the other hand, Moshe Rabbeinu was not treating his wife, the Isha Kushit, as a regular wife. And in both cases, there was good reason for it. But if you wanted to be suspicious, if you wanted to be suspicious, you wanted to kind of make up a story about Moshe Rabbeinu, you'd be able to. And this is how the Svat Emet sees it. So if you look at page two, let's look at the Svat Emet. Adoni Mori Zal. He did b'shem aravni pshischa. Right? I, I told you many times. The Svat Emet was the second Gera Rebbe, and he, the first Gera Rebbe, was his grandfather. Right? The Sedushia Rib. Right? His father died when he was very young. The father was young, and the child was young. Right? They both died. So he heard this from his grandfather, who said it in the name of the Rabbi Pshischa, who was Rav Simcha Bunim, Right? Who was like in that that line. And he says, it seems that people will pick a way of accusing a person, like a righteous person, Davka in that Midah in that quality where they are most righteous. And he says, Why do you act this way, Moshe Rabbeinu? That's all the Torah itself says. This is the Svatamet. That's my grandfather and Rav Sichabunim of Shizcha. Ki al yidei shaya baruli boshel Moshe Rabbeinu alav ha-shalom. Be'anavat. Lachein lo hayachash litnaheg bedvarim shiyinirim lagayimu ma'alehem shemitnasei atzmo. In other words, somebody who has the humility that Moshe Rabbeinu had doesn't even realize that somebody else might see it differently than he sees it. And so when Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moshe Rabbeinu dealt with the Isha Kushit, he dealt with it in the proper way. He couldn't imagine that somebody would misunderstand 
or when the women came to see Moshe Rabbeinu in the Oel Moed, so he, he did what? He was the teacher of Torah? They came to ask him Shilas, so he answered the Shilas. And he couldn't imagine that somebody would have, would be able to make a ta'ana out of that. That's what humility is. Humility is that you can't even see that somebody else would imagine that you lack humility. Right? That's what real humility that, in, in other words, sometimes you say, oh, I don't want to do that because, you know, like there are two kinds of people. The kind of people who rush to sit in the front of the room and shoot, sure, like rush to the and the kind of people who say, I don't want to sit in the front of the room. They're both exactly the same. Right? You know, uh, 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 but, but Moshe Rabbeinu had this humility that prevented him from seeing that what he would do could be perceived by somebody else as a lack of humility. And he says, Lo yachasim David Rosha yadir el legei ilamar alav shebit nasei atzmo ki lo ayam etziut inyan geut etzlo. He never heard of such a thing. Lachem lo yadikar be'enei amon bechinat ha'anava shebo. Because his humility was untainted. He was just humble all the time. And therefore, other people couldn't recognize it. And it was hard for other people who are not like that to be able to say about Moshe Rabbeinu, oh, he is like that. So they're always looking for a way to, to explain it. Say, well, he looks that way, but that, like, you know, it was people, people talk about themselves. People talk about themselves. Whenever you, whenever you hear somebody berating uh, uh, someone else, they say, you know, he's not, ah, you could explain it differently. You know, like, maybe he's not so interested in doing good, maybe he's interested in being the honored guest at the dinner, right? Okay, that's what you say. So when you hear somebody say that, you know that he wants to be the honored guest at the dinner. Because they have to be able to think that way. Remember, you be like naive people, like little children. You say to little children, somebody, uh, you, uh, you, you take a little children go to shoot, right? And there's somebody there, there's a candy man. Somebody should give me a candy. So then afterwards you, you ask the children, uh, what's the greatest thing in shul? So they say, candy? Go to shul, get candy. And the guy gives us the candy. He's the greatest governor, he's the greatest Jew, he's the greatest... Because children are not able to say, look, this guy, they didn't elect a president, and they didn't let him raid. And they wouldn't give it out later. So, uh, so try to get it through the giving out candy, right? That's like you have to be very advanced, uh, kind of, uh, you know, you have to be like advanced, unhappy kind of personality to be able to assess everything, everything that way. So the people who have looked at Moshe Rabbeinu, they said, okay, he's humble, but we're also humble. But we sometimes we cheat on being humble. Like we, we like to get a little covered, and we like to, to get a little money, and we like so we cheat on so I guess Moshe Rabbeinu is also cheating. That's what the that's what the Svatimet says. Maybe you look over there, you see the road with Maurabasiranlamatka. So you see, the story of Bene Yisrael and these two parashiyot, Korah. Well, not these two parashiyot, but Korach, which leads into, we saw, which is the parasha of Balak, right? And you see, it, it's interesting, it's interesting that Bilam was not able to curse B'nai Yisrael. Wasn't able to, because on the level of involving God, on the level which demanded a, an involvement of God in what the evil that Bilam was doing, and I know it's not the Parsha Bilam today, he wasn't able 
to get she took the lot from heaven. Even though he thought he'd be able to. He thought he'd do a trick and he would build this and he'd do that and he'd get somehow God on his side or temporarily on his side or accidentally on his side or whatever he thought. However, however, when he attacked the weakness in the Israel and there was no connection to God, it was just the weakness of the Israel as a military exercise. When he sent the prostitute women to attack the Jewish people, he won. He won. And so you see, you see, that that's what the Svat Emet said. The Svat Emet says, Mitnadim ala tzadik bocharim ledaber alav davka b'midah ha-metukenet et shlobiyotev. To which we can add, it's also a midah that's mikulkelet et shlobiyotev. In other words, when they looked at Moshe Rabbeinu, right, what was it that they attacked Moshe Rabbeinu on? That he didn't say good pshah. That he didn't, uh, that, uh, that, that maybe he didn't wait six hours between meat and milk. I mean, did they attack him on that? That he died with mincha too late or married too early? I didn't say anything like that. They said, they said, no. Asian dish. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. Actually, but, but when you, an Avera, when you, when you look at another person, you think of an Avera. I mean, you don't have the facts, there's no information. You think of it, Avera, you think about yourself, don't you? I mean, who's doing the Avera? Bede Yisrael are doing the Avera. They're the ones who succumbed to the prostitute women that were sent by Jolov and Bolov. They succumbed to that. So they were, they were the ones who were, like, they were prepared for that Avera. So what did they say? Oh, Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu has that Avera. So you see, you see that even though the, the psukim are not perfectly clear. It becomes clear to us that the attack against Moshe Rabbeinu was a personality defect of the attackers. And even though it was based on real information, there was really an Oel Moed, as Chazal say, outside of the Machane, where Moshe Rabbeinu saw people who had Shilas, and even though there was really an Isha Kush, Kushi, but any reasonable person, any reasonable person would say, but Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean, he could do it. No one else could do it. I, mean, I suspect Moshe Rabbeinu is crazy. But since they were people who saw themselves on a par with Moshe Rabbeinu, and since they understood that they themselves had this weakness, as we see at the end of the parasha of Baruch, so it was easy enough for them, as the Svatimet says, to transfer this weakness within them to their assessment of Moshe Rabbeinu uh, leading B'nai Yisrael in the Midbar. Okay.